You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, all. Veronica Daschle. Hello. And that's it today. <laughs> Just the three of us. <laughs> Alan is still on shore leave. He's uh, on a secret mission, I think, for Starfleet, and hopefully he'll be back with us next week. All right, so let's kick it off with a little bit of news. First off, uh, some good news, I guess, from IDW. They're starting a new uh, comic book line, Adventures in the 32nd Century. It's a Star Trek Discovery comic miniseries. Huh. And it looks like they're doing one shots, focusing on some of the you know less focused on characters, starting off with Grudge. Grudge is getting a one shot comic <laughs> book. <laughs> looks like it's going to be the, the origin story for Grudge and book or Grudge's <laughs> origin story with book. <laughs> That's funny. They put a lot of effort into this cat, considering how little it does on the show. Absolutely. <laughs> Grudge just sits there like Morris the Cat. Yeah. In commercials. Like I, could, chills. I could see it if Grudge was like Lassie and like breaking right. him out of jail one week and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Um, but hey, if you ever wanted to, to read a comic book about Grudge, that's on the way. Awesome. And then after that, they'll have uh, Ensign Adira Tall, Lieutenant Kayla Detmer and Science Officer Linus. We'll okay. be getting their own one-shot comics. Nice. I'm, I am still waiting on my uh, grudge book. Yeah, that it's grudge book's on the way as well. Yep. Do we have the slightest clue of what these book, comic or book will say about grudge? I mean, literally anything at all? No. I have no clue. I mean, I, I, I would guess one of them at least will say how book and grudge met, maybe. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the great <laughs> unanswered questions. One of the big mysteries of discovery. <laughs> Everyone wants to know. Right. <laughs> hopefully. The hopefully, thing is, everyone actually does want to know. They, I'm sure they do. I'm not really a cat person, but I know a lot of people are. And so, um, you know, people yeah. love grudge. It's not a burning question for me. I'm just curious. about Unless, bro, unless grudge is a shape changing alien, I'm not all that interested. But <laughs> well, at least if the, the DMA mystery is um, unsatisfying, then we'll have the grudge thing to fall back on. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, also announced today as we're recording this, today's Thursday, the 23rd, it was announced that Star Trek Discovery Season 4 will be taking a mid-season break um, next week. So next week will be the mid-season finale. That's the uh, December 30th airing. Hmm. And then it will be back February the 10th. So it looks like they've, they've got just enough space there for those five episodes of Prodigy they told us are coming along. January 6th through February 3rd will be Prodigy. And then back to Discovery, Discovery February 10th to finish out the season. Were we expecting this at all? That was a surprise when I saw uh, that. I wasn't, but I also wasn't expecting it to happen to Prodigy. So yeah, I know that here. Discovery has taken a mid-season break in the past. I know, that, I know at least season one, they did that. I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to tell if they're just terrible at announcing things <laughs> until the last minute or if they're having to, basically they're, if they're starting the shows before they're ready and then having to shuffle to give them more you know, like that, that gives them an extra month and a week on post-production, those second half of the episodes. Yeah, there's some weirdness going on. It's actually it was online. Someone was posting about Mary Weissman 
and the theories about why she was going to be leaving even for a while. And of course, several people thought she was pregnant because sometimes mm. somebody said they heard that. Okay. And then a whole bunch of people said that all of these weird changes, such as some of the secondary crew um, not showing up for a while, is because of COVID and they're shuffling people in and out. I have no clue what's going on. So I don't know if any of that plays into this decision mm. as well. I don't know. I don't. That's just strange. Yeah. I, well, I could see how. COVID would, you know, they, they want to re- reduce bridge scenes and that kind of thing. Right. We talked about that before. And, you know, you right. get those scenes where everyone's standing six feet apart <laughs> for reasons that aren't <laughs> explained in the story. Exactly. But so I, I know they're having to deal with that during production. And I mean, who knows how that affects post-production? I mean, it, I think they're all working remotely still doing post-production. But even so, I mean, mm-hmm. if if someone were to get would come down with COVID, I, I assume that would slow the pipeline down, even if it just mm-hmm. takes one person out of it. But Exactly. Uh, or it could be, I mean, like the like the BBC does, and they'll just say like, oh, yeah, by the way, Doctor Who comes out next week after not <laughs> giving you a date for a year and a half. So th- there's a precedent for that as well. Right. Um, so we'll see. Um, let me give us a chance to shift gears, I guess. Um, so next week, we'll be talking about Discovery again. And then the week after that, um, back over to Prodigy. So, so does that bring Discovery uh, butting up right against Picard? Well, Picard, I don't know. They had previously said Picard would be February of 2022. But right. this looks like Discovery is going to run at least until the end of February, uh, probably into March. So I don't know. I mean, I would be surprised if they overlapped them. That seems like a silly decision. Uh, you know, the whole point of having these shows is so people subscribe to the streaming service. So you don't want to pack more exactly. than one Star Trek episode into a week. Right. But I mean, there's been post-production people even in the past week on Twitter making comments about february so who knows maybe maybe picard will shift maybe it won't i i mean i i I don't i don't if there's a pattern to what they're doing i haven't (laughs) figured it out yet (laughs) same here same here that yeah that that, i will say that was a complete surprise when i saw that i i just assumed it was going along smoothly so like as you said i don't know if they planned it already and just did and did a bad job or or what right of, of, of announcing it ahead of time that was just odd yeah, the next one I saved this one for last because um, I know how this topic usually goes. <laughs> All five classic Uh-oh. Star Trek series will be leaving Amazon Prime Video <laughs> in, in January. Yes, I'm already <laughs> shaking my fist at the heaven. Now, <laughs> now we can go get a snack while Keith responds. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, yeah. I, as I say all the time, I'm I'm not. I'm not immune or I'm not um, blind to the realities of the business world. As they say, it's what they call it show business. And I get it that you're going to take your stuff back. It just irritates me. Yeah. It, it just, I, I know people who can't afford to do Paramount on top of you know, sure. Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and stuff like yeah. that. And it just frustrates me because it's always been so good to jump from Netflix to Amazon if you want to. Um, honestly, I've said before, Netflix is the best of the streaming services in terms yes. of quality and mm-hmm. ease of use. Oh yes. my God, I really yes. hate it. Yeah, I really hate leaving it there. And even with certain devices like Roku and stuff, I've had more trouble with Paramount and even Amazon than I've had with Netflix. So for those reasons, it irritates me. But you know, what do you do? Some people yeah. could say, well, Keith, you could just buy all the, the DVDs or the Blu-rays. I've actually never done that. I don't own all the series on Blu-ray, believe it or not, I've, because I've always watched them yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I do have them all on actually mm-hmm. DVD and um, Blu-ray. I mean, I've got actually several of them on VHS and some on Laserdisc as well. But mm-hmm. even <laughs> so, I, I like the ease of access sure. for streaming. 
You know, I, I, I like to have the hard copy as well, but I like to be able to pull up on my phone if I'm out traveling yep. somewhere or watch it from the yep. bedroom without having to get up. If I decide at midnight to watch something, not have to go find the disc, you know, right. but the really annoying thing about this one for me is that Amazon Prime still had the unremastered version of the show in addition to the remastered version and Paramount Plus doesn't. So oh. now the original version of the original series, so far as I know, will not be on streaming anywhere. I think Amazon Prime was the only one, at least in the U.S., that had it that I'm aware of. Oh, and, good... and so now it's just going to be the remastered version on Paramount+. Plus. Now, the remastered version is also still on Hulu. I checked that last night. So Hulu still has Star Trek, the original okay. series. I didn't check all the shows um, for now. Who knows when that contract is up? Hey guys, just cutting in with a quick update. While we were recording this episode, the news came out that all the Star Trek series are also leaving Hulu in January. So, but it seems like as all the contracts expire, they're pulling it all back home to Paramount+. Plus. Uh, the second annoying thing about that for me is that Paramount Plus still has some issues with some of the copies that they have on there. For instance, yes. I, I double-checked Cat's Paw because it's the episode we noticed the problem with the opening narration. If you watch Cat's Paw, the mm -hmm. mix is wrong on the opening credits. And the space, the final frontier voiceover is way down in the mix where you can hardly hear it, which wow. needs to be fixed. Why is that still that way? You know, like, how did you, how did you release it with it being that way? Like, yeah. how yeah. is that possible? Wow. I mean, does no um, one who works at Paramount Plus watch Star Trek ever? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe they don't watch Cat's huh. Paul, but. <laughs> well, and see, that's interesting. So I guess what you're saying, therefore, is they don't all have the same sources of what they're, they don't have, they're, all, they're not all using the same masters or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not sure about the technical side of, of what goes into putting on show on a streaming. If you have to have, you know, the, the mm -hmm. audio and how that's all put in and everything. All I know is that if you watch cat's Paul on Paramount plus the mix is wrong. And I haven't gone through every episode on Paramount plus to check, but I checked a couple of them last night and cat's Paul was the one that it was on that I saw, but oh. even so it's annoying, you know, you'd hate for the only version of cat's Paul available to the general public to not have the space, the final frontier, loud enough where you can hear it you know right and i right. And, and i guess problems in life go that's pretty far down there but <laughs> but still it it especially for someone who's primed to already be irritated about it yeah. <laughs> like me it yeah. kind of adds more to the feeling that they're just being mercenary and yeah. that they're not getting it just you know quite right it's basically let's get it back and then of course the bottom line is if you want to stream it you're you're uh, you're held hostage you you do mm -hmm. it this way or not because as you said, I don't, I don't do, I actually don't do physical media a lot because it's so easy to do it on my phone, my tablet, my computer, yeah. sync it in my car, et cetera, et cetera. We, we are definitely physical media people yeah. as anyone who mm -hmm. has seen me talk about our 1700 um, list of movies and we have a big collection of movies, but we, we, we like but, to, for reasons like yeah. this, that a show will disappear from streaming yeah, and then yeah. you can't watch it. Or yes. or they'll they'll have like the Buffy the Vampire situation where they have an inferiorly edited <laughs> version that's up on streaming and you have to have the DVD to watch the original version. Yeah, unless you want to watch like all the extras of uh, the crewmen in the background. Yeah, and well, <laughs> and they're they're doing the shows now where they will they haven't done the Star Trek yet, thankfully that I know of. Where they'll have an AI recrop the picture to sixteen nine to fill the TV. Oh my god! And then that'll be the only like we were watching uh -huh. Roseanne and there's scenes where Dan's head is cut off in the scene. Because no one quality control checked the, oh my, the crop. I didn't know because so, everyone's framing it and they forget this. They don't think about the fact that this picture was framed this way. Well, or for they don't care. Reason you know. Wow. No, they don't. Um, but anyways, I, I'm you know, I'm going to get on a tangent on that. But fascinating. I I hope at the very least that Paramount Plus will put the unremastered Star Trek 
I mean, the remastered picture is fine, even though I kind of prefer the the muted colors of the original. Uh, not that I call the original, the, the VHS version, the, the kind that I grew up watching that was available for so long. Um, but with the with the original special effects, I would hate it if the original visual effects of Star Trek were not available for people to see. I just got a discussion online about that, and I only watch the unremastered. I don't watch the remastered at all. Yeah, it'd, it'd be an interesting topic for us to actually delve into sometime. But I, mm-hmm. I, I like to have them as an option. I think there are some yeah. some episodes that really benefits, and I think there are mm-hmm. some cool things in the remastered version. But I mean, I, I mean, people put a lot of hard work in in the 60s yeah. to create these what the time groundbreaking television effects um exactly. and i hate for them just to be papered over with not always great cgi yeah i agree and, and the other thing like they're basically cutting off their entire new subscriber base by doing this like do I, I understand all the new stuff being exclusively on paramount plus but the way that a lot of the Star Trek fans found Star Trek was in syndication yeah. or um, uh-huh. on Netflix. Yeah. I mean, it's just sure. like that's how Doctor Who got popular in the U.S. Is it was on Netflix. People could watch it. And now they're going to basically cut off any new subscribers because basically anyone who wants to subscribe to Paramount Plus that is already a Star Trek fan is pretty much already subscribed because the ones that are Star Trek fans aren't going to subscribe and they're just going to be like, I'm not paying for that. I'm going to get the Blu-ray when it comes out. Or just not watch it at all, or yeah, uh, watch it another way. Um, so they're like literally strangling their customers. I've talked. They're not to, literally um, strangling their customers. But like, like, <laughs> okay, strangling their customer base. Like. Sorry, go ahead, Keith. Yeah, well, actually, following up on what you're saying, Veronica, I talked to two people in just the last week who literally said, "I'm not picking up Paramount Plus for Star Trek as much as I love it," and mm. it's like I'm. You know, people, a lot of people are um, saying, I've already got the Amazon, I've got the Netflix, I've got the Hulu package. I'm not adding Paramount Plus to it. And so, yeah, I do think it's going to hurt. But I guess they've done the math and the bottom line is they want it back. And then they'll, at some point in time, I think what a lot of the companies feel is that we give in, you know, we get mad, we rage against the machine, and then we give in. I think that's what they feel some people, yeah. you know, a lot of people are going to do. I, I, with their quality of streaming service where half the time when you restart an episode it doesn't even it just starts over um and yeah, it, or it doesn't give you the that. option to start over if you were in the middle of watching it and you wanted to watch it from the beginning you have to like l- physically rewind it until they get up to a netflix level yeah. um of quality and a ease of use they're not going to get any new subscribers because i feel like most people would if they really want to watch it, they're going to find a way to watch it without subscribing. And it has um, um, it has affected me because I do tend to sometimes just put on Star Trek episodes because I'm especially I'm going to rewatch a DS9, Enterprise and Voyager. And the last couple of times I got around it, but I had some problems with Paramount Plus, as you say, it would start up and it mm-hmm. would say taking 30 seconds. Then I have to go out and come back in. And I'm like, yeah, forget it. And I yeah. just go watch, go watch He-Man or something. So. And, and don't they get like, paid when they sell it to these streaming services so are they also cutting off the income from that they are but i think what they're doing is they want to be they want paramount plus to be the home for star trek and that's for if you like star trek you need to get paramount plus to watch it i mean that's what it comes down to yeah i need to have a talk with their executives about (laughs) well it's not exclusive to paramount plus a lot of streaming services are doing that because for so long they were they were just licensing their shows to netflix but then as the viewership of TV started declining, they well, we have to get into this game ourselves because all we all the money we're getting off this is the licensee fee from Netflix. So, yeah, I mean, it's not unexpected, but I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we can grumble about that all night. 
<laughs> <You know>? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, did we have some This Week in Trek this week? We do have a few things this week in track. And I will say last week in track was all about deaths. And I hope it's not like that this week. <laughs> and I missed, I missed Garrett Wong's birthday. Oh, last no. Week. I can't believe I missed that. December 18th. And I was so busy talking about this person died and this person died. And then I think I missed it. Anyway. And then I was like, I'm taking too much time. Oh, crap. Garrett Wong. I'll say happy late birthday. <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, Garrett Wong. Garrett Wong. Happy birthday. Okay. This week, we do get to start off with a birth. Um, and I couldn't even think of anything approaching a quote to even try to do this. So I'm just going to have to say it. And 1970, on the 20th of December, Esri Dax, hey. the wow. actress who plays Nicole the, the, the Nicole DeBoer. DeBoer was born yeah. in 1970. Now, a lot of people, I, I, first, I first came to know her through, was it the Dead Zone television series? I don't know if y'all ever saw that. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw her first there. It's actually it's actually good um, mm -hmm. because the movie was good and because the series I just didn't think they could do a good job taking such a good movie and making a series out of it was actually good and I came to know her from there before I know knew her on Star Trek and of course on, she's famous arguably most famous for science fiction fans as playing Ezri Dax in the last season of Deep Space Nine I think most people like her. Uh, there are some who don't really care for her much. And I think most of that just comes from the fact that she was following a really beloved character. In oh, yeah. After mm -hmm. six yeah. seasons. That's yeah. hard. That, that yeah. is hard. Yeah I, yeah, I like I like her fine. I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. what I really like about it is that it brings the Dax Cisco relationship full circle yes. from yeah. Dax being his mentor when he was young to Dax being his peer with Jadzia. Mm -hmm. And then Cisco's the mentor to Dax uh, with Esri. So I, I thought that was cool. Right. I, when Same I first here. when I was first watching DS9 and we got to that season when I had really gotten into it, um, mm -hmm. I was very, very not liking it at all. But I had the experience of prior to like getting into DS9, I sat in a DS9 panel at DragonCon. So I had seen her talk about Star Trek and her experience there. Mm. So I, I wasn't probably as as I would have been if I had watched it on the original <laughs> run or if I hadn't seen her and how she, how passionate she was about Star Trek uh, yeah. prior to that and and like just coming in at what you know is the last season um, because you want to be a part of this thing that you love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she actually integrated well, as I said, there's a couple yeah. of episodes for those who watched the series. There's a couple of episodes because they're trying to integrate her into the show that that feels clunky. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's one where she's the there's one where she's she's basically playing private investigator because there's a serial mm -hmm. killer on the ship. And then there's the <laughs> almost obligatory when she goes back home and you meet her family. Yeah. And they're just kind of clunky because you got one season. I've, I've seen people commenting going, you've got this whole Dominion War thing to wrap up. Why are you wasting time on Esri? Yeah. And it's not her fault. It was just a horrible situation for her to come in. And I think she handled it well. Yeah. Her, her brother was. um on Mad Men. Mad Men. Yes. Yeah. I forgot his character's name. The character who, the, uh, I, I didn't realize that until just recently we were watching it again. And I was like, hey, hey, look who that is. Because <laughs> <laughs> we just finished funny. watching Mad Men yeah. again. Ah, okay. <laughs> Moving on. We do have a death. That's sad to announce. But that was on December 20th, 1995. And I, gosh, I didn't know it had been this long. I first came to know this lady. Well, a lot of things. But I first came to know this actress as playing the mother of Kizzy in Roots which has an immediate Star Trek uh, connection because LeVar mm -hmm. Burton, of course, was in Roots. And she also played um, a nurse 
in Trapper John for several seasons. And oh, really? Hey, Chuck, you might know Veronica. You know who that is? No. I mean, I, 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 I know, I know, I've, I know that there was a Star Trek actor that mm-hmm. was the was uh, it was the Kende. That's that's not her. No, no. Okay. And I, this will tell you who it is. Okay. She is actually all the discussion, the debate, and a whole bunch of people got all bent out in shape about uh, Shaniqua Martin Green saying that she was the first black captain in Star Trek, mm-hmm. and all everybody's all getting on her. This was actually the first black mm-hmm. female captain shown in Star Trek, and she was the first female starship captain shown in Star Trek yeah. history in the movies Star Trek Four. Yeah. It's Madison Clare. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we lost her uh, in 1995, and I, I forgot that she also played uh, LaForge's mother in episode, I forget the name of the episode, which I should have recorded, it was mm. Sylvia, Silva LaForge, and ironically, his father was played by Ben Vereen, mm-hmm. who played the father of Kunta Kinte, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. of Kizzy in Roots. So you had, you had all three Roots actors together. That was the episode where, long story short, it looks like her ship was lost with all hands, and Jordy was working with that really funky neural interface that projected his presence onto a planet. And he thought the whole time he was communicating with his mother, but it looks like it wasn't. You can tell I don't like the episode very much. <laughs> Veronica Kunta Kinte was played by LeVar Burton. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but I was saying it was the mother of... Oh, okay. I thought you were asking if she played yeah. Kunta Kinte. No. I, was I, like, was, no. I, was, I wasn't sure if that was the character's name. I got you. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Another one, um, really almost, well, not a tenuous Star Trek connection, but a good one. Uh, 22nd of December, 1968, Diana Meyer was born. And she, of course, played a Romulan commander in Star Trek Nemesis. Hmm. I don't know if you guys yep. remember that. She's, she's probably, with sci-fi fans, she's known for a lot of stuff. I, she's another, I first saw her as Diz in Starship Troopers. The yeah, movie. I, I was about 16 when I saw that, 16, 17, yeah. and I found her role very memorable. I'll say that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, to you, as you said that, Charles, I don't know if I'm an anomaly or not, but back, back in those days, especially, everybody was all about Denise Richards. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was a fan of both. I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> and let's see, I want to do uh, one more, a birthday. This is a wild one. Well, go, tell you how far back people go in Star Trek. The 23rd of December, 1911. Woo! Was the, yeah, I know, right? Go way, 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 way back. Um, I'll say this. He said, there was, his line was, Captain Kirk, you remind me of the ancient skeptic who demands of the wise old sage that he be taught all the world's knowledge while standing on one foot. And I think, Charles, you know, because I think you just watched this. I'm blanking on it, though. Who, who said okay. that? Let's uh, let's think of one more thing. Um, oh, I'm gonna... is it? Um, oh, is it Tristan Adams? That's it. And his real name is Gregory. Yes, something wow, Gregory. Got... James Greg. We got James you a Gregory trivia contest. <laughs> wow, we got to get to the trivia. Yeah, James Gregory, who also okay. went on to have roles on uh, Barney Miller. Born in 1911. The bottom line is, when you look at anybody a certain age. Look, just list any Western, list any Playhouse, list any Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, cop drama. You're going to see he was in it. He was one of those Planet of the Apes. Absolutely. 
I, I've tried to get Chuck to go to Star Trek trivia at Dragon Con, and he refused. He go, and I feel like he, he would like. If there's that half remembered trivia, that the problem is, if I were the trivia, I would. It would be like, and now the Enterprise section, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna go now. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, a couple more. We'll run through this real quick. It's been a fertile year okay. <laughs> for a week. The, the 24th of December, 1945, Nicholas Meyer was hey. born. Awesome. Yeah. Star Trek director of the Rapid Con, of course, and then later came back and did the Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing I was reading about Nicholas Meyer was he and Gene Roddenberry evidently had a horrible relationship mm. after the Rapid Con. And one of the reasons was. Meyer was one of those people who wasn't a pure Star Trek fan. He kind of came in and he treated it like a a show. Mm -hmm. And Meyer looked at Star Trek and said, I'm going to add some more martial things to it because he thought of Starfleet as a military, which I think personally as well. Mm -hmm. And so Meyer was the one who really wanted to bring in a lot more naval flavor to the movie. He was the one behind that look of the uniforms that for them movie, which looked a little bit more like a military. And even the battle between the Enterprise and uh, the ship that Khan rec- uh, took over, the look of that and feel was more military. And evidently, Gene Roddenberry thought that he made the Wrath of Khan too militaristic for the mm. future that Gene Roddenberry wanted. That's and funny they, because it, yeah. I'm sorry, I just stepped on what you were saying. No, 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 but yeah. it, I mean, Star Trek has always had Horatio Hornblower in it. That was one of the big inspirations. Exactly. I mean, you watch exactly. Balance of Terror. I wouldn't say Wrath of Khan is considerably more militaristic than, than Balance of Terror. You know, I don't think so um, either. He, he did. He did bring a lot more Horatio Hornblower influence with um, yes. right standard rudder and a lot of those uh, more nautical terms and things like that. You know, it, I, I mean, I yeah. guess I can see it, but there, there was always Horatio Hornblower in the mix and he just sort of brought it more to the surface. I thought so as well. And evidently he left and did and he left and was done with the franchise because he and Roddenberry had such a horrible um, series of arguments. And then some of the other producers begged him to come back, which is why he did The Undiscovered Country. But even then, he and Roddenberry were at odds because in the original draft, Savick was supposed to be a, just a, a traitor. Mm-hmm. And Roddenberry never liked the fact that Savick betrayed anybody. And evidently, before he died, and I mean right before he died, Gene Roddenberry was in the process of, of getting ready to sue Nicholas Meyer and Leonard Nimoy for the changes they had wrought on what he felt was his franchise, but he died like a couple of weeks later. And Nicholas Meyer to this day says that he regrets how he handled it because they had a series of battles, including one with whole production creative teams. And Meyer says to this day, the way he talked to Gene Rottenberry bothers him because Gene was basically dying. Literally. Um, It was just a, it was just a really bad situation. Sounds like. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think Gene was pretty upset with, Star Trek two through six, he was, he'd been cut out, you know, so yeah. he, he wasn't happy with the way they went and a lot. And a lot of it is because he wasn't in charge, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's, and it's a tough thing because you created something, it's your baby and that's, it's mm-hmm. always going to be your baby. And I guess sometimes I'm not even saying that's what I do. You look at somebody like George Lucas. He's like, here, give me a couple bazillion dollars. I'm out. And, and that's yeah. kind of what George Lucas did. You know, he sold yeah. the franchise. Uh, one more birthday or two more, which is um, on the 25th, Christmas day, 1945. Rick Berman. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and you know, what more can be said? He had, he took over the mantle from Gene Roddenberry produced everything from next generation was a co-creator on deep space nine and Voyager and enterprise and pretty mm-hmm. much ran the franchise for 15 years. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
A lot of Star um, Trek was made under Rick Berman. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I find interesting is a lot of people started hating Rick Berman for a lot of reasons, not just mm-hmm. the end of Enterprise, but some of the, the things that he did. And I think one of the things that some people don't realize is that Berman was under pressure to produce Star mm-hmm. Trek. And Berman argued, and he's on record as having argued with the, with the network, we're getting into franchise fatigue. We got to slow down. We're going to start burning out the people. Berman did not want to put Voyager out while Deep Space Nine was trying to find its footing. And of course, as we all know, legendarily, that turned out to be good for Vo- Deep Space Nine because they didn't have time to worry about Deep Space Nine because right. of Voyager. <laughs> um, but all the movies that came out, he didn't want to put all those movies out like uh, Nemesis and so forth. And he, t- he warned the network we're getting fatigued. And of course, he had been on the thing for 15 years, so he was getting fatigued. Right. So, and he wanted Enterprise to be delayed. He didn't want Enterprise to go out that long. There's so many things he fought against. He didn't like the temporal Cold War in Enterprise. He wanted to delay the launch of the ship in Enterprise. So I really think, um, you know, again, you get precious about this. I think that Berman did probably as good a job as could be done with a franchise like that, taking it over from somebody like Roddenberry and keeping it, frankly, popular on television and movies for as long as he did. 15 years is a long time. And he made a lot of mistakes, but you know, I give him his, I give him his credit. He he did, and I mean, I yeah, I'll give him the credit too for keeping the show on and for uh, everything that was produced, good and bad, under his tenure. Now there yeah. also have been stories that have come out in, involving sexism and homophobia yeah. and things like that involving right. Rick Berman that um, are unfortunate. And yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that he's not in that spot now because I think we're getting a lot more diverse Star Trek than we would be getting if if Rick Berman was still there, but. Um, as far as keeping the ship running, I think he did a, a good job. And I mean, it's hard to argue with the number of, I mean, I haven't even done the math of how many seasons were produced under Rick Berman's tenure from basically season three of next gen through the end of enterprise, you know? Absolutely. I, I agree. And that is this week in Trek. Awesome. Then we'll take a quick break to promote a 21. Fellow- 21. 21 seasons. Oh, wow. Wow. Good job. That was quick. Wow. <laughs> And now we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast (laughs) show. And then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. Time to grab your pillow and join the Geek Father in Little Bit for discussions on current, nostalgic, and speculative happenings in pop culture. Nerd news, fandom histories, deep dive discussions, reviews, and more. It's like listening to your closest friends have a nerdy conversation. So sit back, relax, and let the Blurred Nerds podcast embrace you with their warm, goofy goodness. It's nerd goals for your ear holes, right here on the ESO Network. All right. So as we're recording this, it's Christmas week uh, here in the U.S. of A. And I imagine everywhere else, too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's the holiday season. And so we were we thought we would delve into some of the Star Trek episodes that are just really good to watch on holidays. And we we haven't got a lot of specific holiday specials from Star Trek. There's been a few cat's paws, a a Halloween episode and that sort of thing. But um, there are some that are just that just r- work really well with a holiday. And the example I always give of that is that I think the corporate maneuver is the perfect New Year's episode. <laughs> and the reason for that is that, I mean, you've, <laughs> you've got the big glowing ball, like the New Year's ball, right? <laughs> you've got it. a prominent countdown in the episode and 
you've got drinking at the end, you know, and you could even argue that you've got <laughs> the, the, drum, yeah. the old man from the previous year, Baylock, and then you've got baby New Year Baylock at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and you don't have to watch any um, celebrities lip syncing out in the cold. Um, get a little Star Trek adventure. And actually, I did the math. We did this last year. Went through something like this last right. year. Right. So if you start watching the Corbomite maneuver at precisely 1126 and 52 seconds, then okay. Baylock's countdown will count down to New Year. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then after that, it's just breaking out the Tranya and, and, party, and partying with Baylock. Uh, now, that's off of the Blu-ray timestamp. So if you're watching this on a streaming service, you have to take into account that sometimes there are ads and things like that. But if you start watching the Corbomite maneuver at 1126 and 52 seconds, then Baylock <laughs> will... We'll count down <laughs> to new to year and you get to hear um, <laughs> you get to hear the what was that crewman's name? I just blanked on the crewman's name who freaks um, out. Not uh, gosh, I said Styles, Ned is no, Bailey. Bailey. Bailey, you get to hear yeah, Bailey, Bailey scream. He started yes. countdown. <laughs> That's a great way. And speaking of, you know, I'm sure you noticed that episode has a famous blooper where Sulu, as the countdown is going on, Sulu says, I knew he would. Yeah, and, right. and and what happened was they didn't record in Baylock continually doing the yeah. countdown. Yeah, but you're, I love that. I love that. That is the that that thing you said with Bailey about Sulu. That is probably matched only as far as a comedic and fun, a, a sad and comedic moment. The only thing that's probably matched by is when uh, Commodore Decker said, "Don't you think I know that <laughs> there was, but not anymore." <laughs> Talking about the planet. Yeah. Uh, when Bailey screams, he's doing a countdown. I, it is funny. <laughs> what are you, robots? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, it wasn't designed to be a New Year's episode, but I think it works right. really well. And that's a lot of what our picks are going to be, I think, of just episodes yeah. that just work really well um, yeah. for a holiday episode. Now, um, Keith, did you have one that you wanted to mention? Yeah. This is so, forgive me, guys. I'm going to cheat. This is so easy and obvious, <laughs> but. Tapestry for the next generation. <laughs> tapestry. Tapestry yeah, is I'm, a great one. Yeah, but I'm probably I'm sure I stepped on somebody else's toes. That of course is the one where Picard dies because he has a oh man, there's a whole show we could do about that. He has an artificial heart that, that malfunctions after an ambush and he dies on the operating table and wakes up and Q says, Jean-Luc, welcome to whatever you're dead. And <laughs> Q tells Jean-Luc that he's dead and he gets into a scenario where he basically asks him, was your life worth it? Look at what it's brought you to. You're dead. And he literally does the Christmas Carol type thing where he takes Picard back in time to when he was um, just about to graduate the Academy and lets him live over a part of his life where Picard says, if I had to do over again, I would do it over again. And he does it over again. And what he finds out, which you always find in all these kind of movies like this, is that his life might have been safer and maybe he wouldn't have died that day, but his life was to him not worth living. You flash back to this alternate future and Picard is, gosh, I think he's a lieutenant. And yeah. he's, in like a, he's in a minor science role. He's wearing blue. He goes to Riker, who for some strange reason is the only first officer still, and Troy, <laughs> and says, let's talk about my future. And they're like, what future? You know, you, you never take any chances. You play it safe. And the lesson he learns is that a life worth living can be a life that may be shorter or fraught with danger. And he goes back. And, and as most people know, he, he was stabbed with a heart by a Nausicaan right out mm -hmm. of the academy. And he goes back through that situation, does it again, and becomes the Jean-Luc that we all know and love. And he gets saved on the operating table. Mm -hmm. it's, it really is a Christmas carol type of thing yeah. where he, he learns that you make the decisions you make. 
and you take the chances you take. And that's what life is all about. Yeah. And I think the original pitch, they actually mentioned a Christmas Carol because originally Mm. uh, there was going to be several time periods in Picard's life that he would visit. Mm. And you'd get some flashbacks to different different things in Picard's life. And then they they changed that probably for budgetary reasons. You can spend mm-hmm. all your time in the one. But it, it wound up even um, with a lot of similarities to It's a Wonderful Life with, yes. with Q in the Clarence role. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great one for the holidays. It's not particularly Christmassy, but it is whimsical. And it, yeah. and it, it, it plays into a lot of those, those holiday time themes. Another one I think that's great for the holidays is uh devil's due oh yeah because for one it, the opening sequence is data on the holodeck playing scrooge yes and, and but then the, the episode itself it's it's, it's the same way it's, it's it's whimsical it's kind of fanciful you know for fa- fanciful um where they they come across this planet that basically the devil <laughs> they made a pact yeah. with the devil a thousand years ago or whatever and now the devil has shown back up to collect and, Under. you know, and, and Star Trek fashion, they, they've got to prove that the devil is um, actually, a, a, you know, a, basically a con man, <laughs> you <Right>. know, <laughs> that Ardra is not really the devil. She's using her technology. That's a good, that's a, you know, that, to you, with what you're saying, uh, Charles, that is a funny episode, but you really got to put your, your mind in critical thinking on hold, <laughs> because if you think about it, at the end of the day, a cheap con artist with what Jordy later says is knockoff parts on her ship somehow manages to fool and evade the flagship for way too long. Yep. You know, she hides for way too long. She's got some kind of deflector technology that's literally shifting the tectonic plates of an entire planet. <laughs> it takes them forever to find her, but you just got to let it go and yeah. laugh at the show. You just got to. Yeah, I do like the idea, though. If someone with, I mean, even basic Starfleet-esque technology could show up to a planet and play God. You know? Absolutely. And that, I think that's yeah. a, a good example of that. You, catch wind of a myth on a planet you can take advantage of and and i, and I like when ardra transforms into the devil she transforms <laughs> into felthier the klingon guardian of of grethor um which kind of yeah. freaks Worf out yes <laughs> i don't think Worf's 100 sure <laughs> yeah i thought that was good too you know a, a little trivia thing there's the, another actress who almost got the role who actually auditioned for it was uh adrian barbeau oh really yeah Maud's daughter from Maud, for those old enough to know it, ever watched it. But of course, also known for her roles in Swamp Thing and Escape from New York, among yeah. a lot of other things. And she played a Romulan in Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. So mine is, of course, from DS9. <laughs> and I'm blanking on the episode name. In the cards? Yes, in the cards. Wow. Um, because it's, it's basically um, someone doing all of these crazy things to get the ultimate present. Yeah. Well, it, it starts off at a party, yes. which is like a, the most <laughs> depressing party you've ever been to. Worf yeah. is literally standing, staring at a skunk on, or a hanging on the wall and doesn't notice when everyone leaves because everyone's bummed out about the war. And so right. Jake and Nog decide to get a gift for Cisco to cheer him up. And the whole, like you said, the whole episode is about getting a gift. But also, it also has that sort of whimsical feel to it. Yeah. Self-sealing um, self symbols. Nope. That's the other one. What? This is the, um, oh, the orthodoxy guys, the soulless minions of orthodoxy. He's an orthodox. I yep. love that guy. I <laughs> what am I getting? It, what, what episode am I getting this mixed up with then? Uh, the one where they're trying to get the self-stealing stem bolts <laughs> or the one they have them. And the, they're, they're basically the one you're thinking of is from early DS9 where they're trading. Yeah, I totally got those two conflagrated. 
And you're thinking about no, no, you're thinking conflagration about, uh, is the wrong word. Um, you're thinking about um, um, NoJ, the NoJ consortium yep. that was formed. Remember that? Yes, yes, that's yes. what I was thinking of. Yeah. That whole now, process. This is the one. This is the one that weird dude. This is the one that weird Can dude. Can you tell I chamber. watched it this week? Absolutely. <laughs> this is the one where that dude had that weird chamber that was supposed to basically stimulate your molecules because he said your molecules get bored, which is why we age and die. Yeah. And- <laughs> That was great. <laughs> yeah, his uh, cellular entertainment chamber or whatever yeah. he called it. Yeah, there was there's one point where they were trying to make the deal with him where because at first Jake was so desperate to to get all this stuff going, he's 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 overlooking the fact. And then I love at this one point Jake and Naga whispering, and Jake goes, This guy's crazy, isn't he? And he goes, completely. But they did meet what he wanted. And then they even somehow managed to bring the Vorta in. And make it funny. Because uh, yeah. you remember at one point in time, um, where you was like, there's something going on. And where you basically takes Jake and them and, and accuses them, what, of spying? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a great episode. And then he, he tells them they're trying to get a baseball card. He doesn't believe them. So then he tries to act like they're actually spying or they have a secret mission and everything. And he's like, <laughs> I believed you the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot more believable. <laughs> and then that the episode where they, they accused Kai Wynn of something, and that's when Cisco read on the riot act, and they couldn't tell him what, what they were doing because they were trying to surprise him. They could have told her what they were up to, Cold told Cisco what they were up to, yeah. but Jake chose not to, which uh, fl- frustrated Nog. But yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's, it's a good one, and it's a fun one. Yeah, I love that one. And one from Voyager that is, is pretty obvious as far as the holidays is 1159. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you remember that one, Veronica, where... It's about Janeway's ancestor, and Kate Mulgrew plays her. Uh, but it's set in the year 2000, and it takes place because she, she's relaying the date as it's going on from December 27th until December 31st. Oh. And so it's set in that period right between Christmas and New Year. And so there's the background of every scene. There's Christmas decorations still up. There's New Year's decorations. There's snow on the ground. And it's, uh, I mean, it's basically a Hallmark movie. She's, she winds up in this small town where there's a a guy who owns a bookstore who doesn't like technology and change. And he's standing in the way of them putting in this new self-contained habitat. That's going to be a, I don't know why it has to be on top of a town, but it's going to be a a prototype (laughs) basically for, or an inspiration for the Martian colonies. But instead of him winning, she um, it's about Janeway or um, Shannon O'Donnell talking Henry Janeway, uh, helping him see his way to look towards the future instead of being stuck in the past. And so the uh, it literally is a Hallmark movie. Yeah, but it's sort of the opposite premise of a Hallmark movie. Your opposite. Um, That's I never that, that, that never in, instead of defeating instead of defeating the big <laughs> the big guys who are trying to put in the high tech fancy city. Those guys win. And, yeah. you know, Shannon O'Donnell talks him into to moving forward with his life instead of being stuck in the past. So it has sort of a Star Trek spin on, on the Hallmark movie. I just want to say we are in 2021 now True. and we don't have a simulated Mars colony anywhere. No. Yeah. I, uh, I do that one all the time, Veronica. And that's matter of fact, that's another episode we should do because I always realized that the nomad pro was launched in 1997 uh, Khan was absolute rule of earth from 1992 to 1996 with sleeper had, ships. Exactly. We had <laughs> ion powered sleeper ships in the late nineties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did. We, we missed it. We missed them. <laughs> and I guarantee you, unless somebody does something really radical, we've got 40 years to develop warp drive and I don't see it. Nope. I don't see it. Not where we are. <laughs> Not with the tech we got. We can't even get controlled nuclear fusion going yet. Nope. Yeah. So, yeah. 
always a little frustrating, but yeah. <laughs> uh, super tenuous one just for kicks, and it's only because it was referenced, and it is uh, the original series episode Dagger of the Mind. Yep, Dagger and of the Mind. The only Christmas link it has is because the fabulous um, Helen Noel, and what a name, Dr. Yeah. Helen Noel, who sent down the Tantalus colony with Kirk. Mm-hmm. She was someone that Kirk met and they were attracted to at a Christmas party. Yep. And her character is named Noel because they met at a Christmas party. It's like a horrible <laughs> inside joke. But other yeah. than that, the episode has nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> no, not really, no. But yeah. I will say about Dagger of the Mind, I rewatched that last night. I mean, it's still one of the most progressive depictions, despite the mad scientist part, the most progressive Absolutely. depictions of the penal system in Star Trek. Yep. I mean, they're described yep. as basically being resorts to help sick minds. They, right. they Instead of prisoners being incarcerated they're treating them as patients who need help exactly now then you have tristan adams come along and spoil it all by brainwashing people but aside from that (laughs) yeah that's one of my favorite episodes of star trek yeah that's a good one all right well let's take a quick break to promote a fellow eso network podcast show and then when we come back we'll be talking about the latest episode of star trek discovery so stay right there Hi everyone, it's Nathan, host of the 42Cast. Our second season is just underway and it's never been a better time to check in on what we're doing. Whether it's talking about the latest movies from the MCU, watching the Arrowverse shows, talking about classics such as Star Trek and Doctor Who, playing 8-bit video games, or sharing celebrity interviews, the 42Cast has something for everyone. So give it a listen and discover why it's the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I love it. What was that? <laughs> I, was, I was making it like one of those announcements over the intercom. Oh, I got you. Kind of like at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If we ever do a lot more video and we incorporate video when Veronica does that, we need to get that scene from the episode. I forget. There's one episode of the original series when they're on red alert. You might remember this, Chuck. And the camera zooms in on the red alert thing, and it keeps going in and out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very dramatic. Effect. So just have it zoom in and out on me while on I'm doing your face. It. Yes. <laughs> one day you've got to do the, the next the motion picture one. Red, 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 red <laughs> alert, or spoiler version. Of that. But yeah, sorry everybody. We're, we're it's, it's, it's a holiday week. It's so we're talking about the Discovery episode Stormy Weather this week. So spoilers for that. What did everybody think? I enjoyed it. I like the tone. I'm liking the tone more. And I hate to keep sometimes, but I, I don't I don't want to be this person, but I was watching it again tonight and I was like, this feels more like Star Trek to me yeah. mm-hmm. than Discovery has often felt. And I don't want to narrow anything into being what Star Trek is, but mm-hmm. it felt more like Star Trek. And for me, for a lot of people, Star Trek, is a show that every single episode, it must teach a moral mes- message, which of course is Roddenberry's main focus. That's not my main definition of Star Trek. For mm. me, it's, a, it's, a, it's another thing. It's a series of, I guess, mature conversations and complex conversations and people I think doing dramatic roles that I could see them doing in, in modern times. It doesn't have to be in the star science fiction world. Mm. So a lot of times, strangely, when I can forget that I'm watching a science fiction show, I feel that Star Trek. 
Mm-hmm. And I felt that a lot in this episode tonight, although there's there's some other things that I have to talk about. So I actually liked it. Yeah, I, I liked the pacing quite a bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I liked and I liked that it was a bottle show. There, was, yes. there wasn't any strange locales or anything like that, which I don't mind. But, it, right. you know, it's like an old Star Trek staple of have the episode where we're just on the ship. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, mm. I, I'm going to go ahead and skip to the ending because this was the <laughs> main thing that I n- noticed. But when 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 everyone's in the pattern buffer and mm-hmm. Burnham's there on the ship and they're doing this thing, I was thinking, oh, man, I wonder if this is how they get to that short trek. And they're there and she's just waiting there for her captain to give her the instructions and everyone's in the pattern buffer, but she's just sitting there. I mean, like reflecting back on it now, it's like, well, obviously not because she's sentient and knows that if the captain dies, she needs to bring everyone back. So obviously that's not possible, but that was, that was my, that was my thought. Um, as that was happening when I was first watching it. That would be uh, hilarious if they yes. came out of the pattern buffer and she was like, it's been a thousand years. Like again. <laughs> yes. So is, was the, they said the pattern buffer. Is there was, I thought it was weird. Everybody was like holding hands and one person in each group that was holding hands triggered the transport effect. Yeah. Uh, I was like, somebody's getting too mixed. This isn't going to go well. <laughs> somebody's coming out of forearms. Like I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't understand why they like even said do this in groups. Like it didn't make why? any sense. No. Yeah, I thought that was overly dramatic because she said, "Yeah, you're right." She said, "Do it in groups. You shouldn't do this alone." And I thought, well, if you're in a pattern buffer, you don't know anything, and then you come out and you're back. So you're right. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. And, and Charles, I thought the same thing. I'm like, "Oh man, this is too big," because they would hold hands <laughs> and one person alone would push their button. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That was a little weird. Okay, so that missed something. Was was Michael? Does she remain outside simply because she was the captain yes. and she yeah. felt like she should, or is it because yeah. they got that? They and I don't want to offend anybody. They got that that perhaps mentally imbalanced ship that she needed to talk into doing his job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, my thought was that I don't, I wouldn't trust this computer. You need to have a person on the outside. Yes. But then yeah. at the end, they were waking her up, so it wasn't really necessary. But uh, yeah, my they didn't especially say it, but my thought was that you ought to have a person on the outside, and it's, it should be the captain. It gives her a good captain right. moment where she can. So, so my feeling was that she was doing it because, like, that's what the captain's supposed to do. Is the captain yeah. supposed to stay behind and take care of whatever else? And in this case, she's taking care of the entire crew and hoping that at least they make it out. Yeah, it would have been nice yeah. if it was like, well, we can't make it unless someone stands here and holds this button or something. You know, uh, it's yeah, like somebody's got to somebody's got to stay out. But they didn't say that. Yeah, it was a nice big captain moment for Burnham. I thought, though, I mean, I it, so. it, it was poorly explained, but yeah, it, it was cool, though. I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm I was my notes. I'm like, you got a you got a neurotic ship and yeah. that's that a problem. It was losing focus. <laughs> like Z- Z- at least Zora, we were, last week we were worried that Zora is going to be evil, but at least Zora is just yeah. incompetent, which I'm not sure is <laughs> worse for your starship. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little nervous when a ship literally says, "Oh man, I can't focus," and they're literally like, "Just calm down." The ship is overloading on a minutia. Like, oh boy. <laughs> Uh, interesting use of Gray. A lot of people I saw online that said, what is Gray going to do? That Gray has no function. So I wrote then, is Gray going to be the ship whisperer now? Because <laughs> it was Gray who basically realized yeah. we better start treating the ship like a person. Yeah. Which yeah. is 
still kind of freaks me out because Gray was literally like, calm down. It's okay. Ship's like, okay. Uh, I wouldn't take that to battle. <laughs> I just wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> this thing that is between me and basically death. Yes. Is yeah. having a mental breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I like that they worked that into the story, too, because Gray really doesn't have a function on the ship. And I like right. how he was just stuck hanging out. He's literally the only person in the lounge or bar or whatever they call it. And he's just hanging out there all day by himself. Like, I got I have no nothing to do. You know? Yeah, because Gray is Gray is Gray always Gray has this, like a really sweet smile. And Gray is always re- almost relentlessly optimistic. Mm-hmm. But you're right. As soon as a deer beamed out, there was a look on Gray's face as in what now? You know, what do I do? Yeah. Grace said, I'll find something I always do. And that, that look of confidence went away immediately when a, when a deer yeah. zoomed out, being uh, transported out. So yeah. I, I was glad they found something great to do. Yeah. Speaking of Adira, I like that they're in the Tilly role now. They're transitioning yes. him into the Tilly role where, because right. I mean, essentially Adira was another Tilly and you don't need two yeah. Tillys on the ship. So yeah. Adira is just taking that role over on the bridge. And I like that it was a big moment, you know? And honestly, given Adira's age, it start it makes a little more sense if we deal with Adira's insecurities than we were with Tilly's. Because mm-hmm. I think you were saying, Charles, that it was kind of weird because Tilly wanted to be captain. That was her goal. And then they made her captain. And then she's still having all these doubts. And it was starting to sound, it seemed a little strange. But yeah. Adira's a young kid. This is like a Wesley Crusher. This is like a Nog or something like this mm-hmm. is a cadet or a new a young ensign. So yeah. I I'm much, I'm much happier dealing with Adira dealing with those things than I am yeah. with, uh, with um, Tilly. I was yeah. kind of like, in some ways, like, let's just get, let's get Tilly where Tilly needs to be and mm-hmm. move on. Is how I felt personally. Yeah. And getting Tilly out of that, you know, nervous stuttering yeah. instant on the ship role that she's been sort of with, she was originally in, you know, right. let, let's her grow, you know? Right. Um, one thing I meant, I forgot to mention is um, the, I will say that the opening ending the, the 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 prologue the ending before they go to the opening credits that was phenomenal where they entered the void and i and i mm-hmm. did right that looked like star trek they entered mm-hmm. the void it's, it's completely black and the camera pans out and pans out and pans out and then yeah. all you see is that ship that was cool and yeah, oh yeah they held on they they did a good job on this episode yeah i, I like i mean they're probing the unknown which was cool and mm-hmm. And I don't know if I was imagining this or if it was deliberate, but there were times when the score reminded me of uh, the music from the motion picture, not the big yeah. score, but sort of the background, like bum, bum, kind of stuff going on in the background. Which, uh-huh. Or maybe I was just I'm, I'm maybe I'm bringing the motion picture with me when I watch because there's because yeah. there, there's a lot of similarities there. But I think that they were yeah. deliberately doing an homage to that, which I love. You know, my first yeah. thought when they flew in, it was black. And I was like, is it a, is it a giant space amoeba? Yes. <laughs> it, it wasn't, right. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you start thinking about Nagilam from uh, right. the next generation. Yeah. Uh, I like the callback that kind of worked where they said that the particles, although I didn't know there were particles, but they talked, mm-hmm. they referenced the galactic barrier from mm-hmm. where no man has gone before. Yeah. And from by any other name, which mm-hmm. basically says anytime you try to leave the galaxy, there's this weird energy barrier you got to go through. Yeah. And I found it interesting that they, they determined because of those particles that this thing came from outside our galaxy. Which, which I think that's cool too. That yeah. I mean, that, like the doomsday machine came from outside our galaxy. Mm-hmm. The Kelvins from outside the galaxy. The old ones mm-hmm. from outside the galaxy. It has that <laughs> right. sort of Lovecraftian feel to it. Yes. Where it's just something, something from beyond, you know? Yeah. 
uh, which I like. This episode also reiterated the fact that they need a chief engineer. Yeah, again, Stamets is the chief engineer and the lab is engineering now. They're, you know what I mean? They're, they're just, you, they're, he's just in the chief engineer role. He's not technically the chief engineer, but he's down there in his lab redirecting power and, and things like that. That's, good. That's a good point. Is, is Tig Mataro's character not the chief engineer? I don't, I don't think she is. I think she's yeah. just an engineer. They've never said that if she is. They've also yeah, never shown engineering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're right. Because in some ways it almost feels like it's not, it almost feels like Tig is used for comedy because she disappears. I know she has a lot of, because I know I think, I did read that one reason Tig wasn't on the show as much as some people would, did have to do with COVID because I mm-hmm. didn't realize that Tig was a cancer survivor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and Tig has been very concerned about exposure to COVID. And I think there's mm-hmm. something about that. But it's kind of funny because almost like Tig just shows up. And it's, it's hilarious the way she, they bring her in. She just shows up and there's nothing like where you've been. And she shows up and she's <laughs> always got something sarcastic to say. Yeah. And then she may disappear for two or three episodes. And then she shows back up. But to your point, yeah. Veronica, I'm like, well, she, is, she, is she chief engineer? Because never, you never see her. So Like, take one of the current bridge crew folks that usually are in, like, the far background and mm-hmm. put them in charge of engineering. It's not that hard. I think they should just make Stamets the chief engineer. They're, yeah. they're, they're treating But he's it. not engineering. I know that. that. You don't have to tell me that. What is he? What is he? Is he's he science? science yeah, I mean, he was this, this, he's, a, um, oh, yeah. he's a mushroom scientist. Yeah. <laughs> he's a mycologist. <laughs> and that right. lab was his science lab. But now they're cutting to they're cutting to Stamets and he's redirecting power. And, you know, like, that's not yeah. what his job is. But no, it's not. <laughs> but yeah, you, but, that's good. Yes. You're right. Because one point I was laughing. Your network isn't powering the ship. No. no. <laughs> You're right. Because at one point I was laughing because I was thinking he's functioning as the engineer. Then he's going to jump into the spore chamber and then he's going to jump back out of it and do the engineering <laughs> stuff. And I remember thinking, uh, well, then he told Book to go in there and we saw what happened to Book. So good thing he did. <laughs> well, <I guess. laughs> speaking of the Book thing, I mean, Book went into the spore chamber, got zapped yeah. and then started right. seeing someone who had died. And it just right. it shocked me that both Stamets and Culber were both like, yep, it's a hallucination. Yes. I, I'm like, yes. <laughs> like, it might be someone dead. That's happened before with you That's guys. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was waiting for the same thing. I was waiting for to find out that, you know, and they also, they make the, the mycelial network sound semi-mystical. You're yeah. right. I thought the same thing. I thought, well, maybe that actually is his dad's spirit. But I Who like knows? what he said. Yeah. He said to the image, I'm going to choose to believe that you are. Yeah. In my mind, although, of course, then that brings up all these things about um, his own internal doubts and so mm-hmm. forth. I thought the guy playing his dad was great. Yeah, me too. He was a really good actor. Yeah. Well, and of I course, because it's a, he's a Star Trek because book is a Star Trek character. He's got a he doesn't have a good relationship with his parents. <laughs> they never do. <laughs> yeah, that was, you're right. None of them do. Starfleet only takes people with bad relationships with their parents. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I continue to stay nervous about Michael and Book's relationship because like yeah. nobody in Star Trek has a happy relationship. And, <laughs> you know, we always talk about, yeah, with Keiko and Bar- O'Brien married. We saw how that went. Yeah. Uh, they're, and they're actually a success story as far as Star Trek yes. relationships go. <laughs> yes. And even Cisco and Cassidy. You don't think so? No, well, no, I'm saying that, like, um, this excess story would be uh, Riker and Troy. Eventually. Well, eventually, okay, yes. yeah. Kind of like Cisco. Cisco and Cassidy Yates, ultimately, they're good. But boy, I tell you what, if you read about the stuff that happens to them after Deep Space Nine, mm. they go through some crap too before they become a, uh, a couple. It's, it's right. There's no good couples in Star Trek. It's like it can't happen. Yeah. Wait, didn't Cisco, like, Ascend or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but in the yeah. books, he comes back. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, okay. And well, it gets, she came back. Okay. Yeah. And it gets weird, weird. And spoilers, it gets weird, weird. Then he leaves Cassidy, and then they break up. It's it's, it's insane. And then I think they finally get back together. But anyway. I need to read more DS9 books. I've been collecting them. I need <laughs> <Yeah>. to actually <laughs> read them. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting. Book was, book was um, is gung-ho to do something. And I thought it was interesting. He literally was in the ship with the engines running, basically. And he was about to go out into the thing. And it's really good. Michael stopped him because they sent mm-hmm. that dot out. And then he's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I just watched this dot die. Like my plane, I watched my planet die. I'm so yes. glad I didn't go out there. Like, remember how our, our probes have adorable faces now? Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it used to not bother you when they launched a probe and it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know what? When they when she was on the bridge and Brit and Book was on his ship and they were cutting back and forth and he was doing mm-hmm. things that she and it made me think of Seven of Nine down in the uh, Astrometrics lab where you had this civilian yeah. who's down with her own little station. Um, right. But I was kind of getting Seven of Nine vibes off of not that he's like Seven of Nine, mm-hmm. just that he's in that sort of sort of a civilian on the ship who's basically treated like one of the officers. And I thought that was interesting. I did too. I, th- I still think as what you said before too, that we, need, I think they need to find a function for book because yeah. he, he, he made a point. He was saying, I'm still not sure who book was talking about. Book said something about, we know the DMA was, was um, created by other people. Let's go find them and talk to them. And I really don't know what he was talking about. Who was he going to go talk to? Well, he wanted to go outside Federation space thinking that people oh, outside see. Federation space okay. may have heard of it too, but you know what? Outside Federation space is a lot of space. Like what? Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of space. Where where are you where are you gonna start? And so I was thinking, you know, I guess real realistic in real life, that point would be you would do both in that case. Would let book chase down like his his the spirit of his dad or his whatever hallucination said. You should be out there talking to all your old contacts. And I don't that that actually would kind of make sense if they had dual missions. Sure. Yeah. 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 And that that would give him something to do, and that would give him. Uh, an opportunity to talk to some people that the Federation doesn't have time to talk to. Yeah. Um, I have really enjoyed book this season. So I hope mm-hmm. they, I would rather, they, I would rather they find I mean, that's that makes sense what you just said, but I would rather they mm-hmm. find him something to do on the ship so that we can still yeah. see him every week. Right. I don't want him to disappear and come back in five episodes. Right. Um, but I did, I did think it was cute in the scene where um, Stamets is making a deliberate effort to be polite to him. Like, yes. I'm glad you're here. I appreciate your help. <laughs> Yeah, I chuckle with that as well. I like Stamets, and I do like him when he's not a complete ass, the way yeah. he was in the first uh, first season. Where yeah. because I, I like the fact that he's learning, and I think a lot of that is that ship. Again, we talked about last week. They've been through trauma, and they're learning. Mm-hmm. They're learning to lean on each other, and he and he were learning to lean on each other. So I, yeah. I kind of like it. It shows a natural evolution of a character. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one thing I have to say, and I don't know if Alan mentioned this in his thoughts, but. I wrote, guys, I got to tell you, I wrote down three times, three times in this episode where I'm like, are you serious? You're stopping the action yep. for somebody to do a confessional. And yep. I literally wrote, we need a real world confession booth on this ship. And I mean, <laughs> literally, I mean, the computer is even having a confessional in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then a lot, a lot of, a lot, how do you pronounce that? I don't know how to pronounce her name. Olo, oh, well, she can. Yeah, well, she can. She stops and says, "Let me tell you what happened." Like, dude, here we go again. Yeah, we got I thought about that too. Let me tell you what happened. Once upon a time, <laughs> go into the buffer. We'll talk about it later. Right. That happened three times in this episode. <laughs> Keith, did you ever watch the TV show Sliders? 
Yes, I did. And every episode. If, if for anyone yes. who's not seen Sliders, every episode, yes. you're on a, there's literally a ticking clock on the show. Yes. We've got to jump right. through this vortex because if we miss it, we're trapped here for the rest of our lives. And every yeah. time they stand in front of the freaking vortex and talk to somebody, like, would you get in the vortex? You're going to yeah. miss it. <laughs> They're right. It'll be something like, you can do it now. You can save your planet and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> While someone's going, Quinn, we've got to go. Like, yeah. They're all diving through, like, Right. You just go, and I feel that way on Discovery too, because every episode is like we're all going to really die. And like, well, sir, let me tell you about what happened to me when I was a child. Like, <laughs> okay, tell me, tell me later. Yes, that I gotta say that is so obvious and it's so clunky. I do not understand that. I, I don't I'm, know. I'm starting to. It I don't get what's fit going in on at all whatsoever. No. <laughs> it doesn't. And if they want to do that and they want to personalize, and I guess it's somebody's signature. If you want to personalize, what I'm thinking is then carve out you know the original series for good or bad, would do the thing where like the last minute and a half, they would they would have a talk and it always unfortunately ended in those horrible 60s sitcom laughs, right? <laughs> like um, you might remember the episode Operation Annihilate. Long story short, that's the episode where Kirk's brother dies. And the show, it, Kirk's brother dies, his sister-in-law dies, and his nephew is now an orphan. And the show ends with a joke. It's, it's horrible. But if they want to do that, then maybe they should carve out like the last two or three minutes of the show where those people could be in the mess hall. Maybe they can all be talking and then they could talk yeah, about it. But, but literally in the middle of an a- action scene. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like if you're going to have a you see Timmy moment, the you see yes. Timmy moments come at the end, not while Timmy's right. still in the well or trapped in a mine. You know? <laughs> Pause, yeah. not yelling, you see Timmy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Help! there's a little, yeah, they're getting a little, it's a little clunk and it's trying to put the emotion into it. And then I had, I have to admit, when they were going into the, they were going into the barrier to get back out of the, the, the void, then the computer started singing to Michael. Mm-hmm. And I swear I wrote, I expected the computer to go, Daisy. <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> oh. I, I did not see that. <laughs> I did not see it like going like that. The uh, yeah, it was, the, it was I will different. say the lady who plays Zora has a good voice. Yes, yes. That was not does. the most natural way to highlight her voice. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> singing no. to Michael while they're flying out of the thing. I mean, yeah. it was kind of cool. I, I but I don't know. It, the whole time I'm just like, why have you not pulled the plug on this thing? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because, like, as you said, that now that it looks like Zora's not evil, but now, I mean, how many times we've we seen this in Star Trek, even with somebody like Data or Data's daughter? Best case, Zora is immature. Zora is mm-hmm. a new life form, an emerging life form. Right. Zora is going to have emotions. Zora may freak out and panic. Zora may mm-hmm. counterman the captain. And then what do you do? Run from a battle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be like the beginning of Laura Dex. You know, maybe the ship will go up and turn around and go back the other way. <laughs> right. No. Yeah, they're gonna have to deal with that. And I, but they said there's no um. What they well they said basically her sentience and emotions are not a malfunction. So I thought that was actually a cool. It, I thought that was an interesting line. Diagnostics show nothing wrong because there's nothing wrong. As in, you know, as, I, our to be fair though, she's scanning herself. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Nope, nope, everybody, it's fine. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, they did say, though, that Zora is an, a sentient AI inside a supercomputer. So they did differentiate yeah. it. I guess, I don't know functionally what the difference is, but Zora is in the computer, not necessarily is the computer. So yeah. ho- hopefully they can get her out of the computer and <laughs> have their computer that functions right. 
Wow. So maybe she'll get a sense body know, but, too. <laughs> but but she doesn't end up out of it in the next thousand years, supposedly. Hey, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe they're going to yeah. build another discovery and put Zora in that when she's not looking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then just, and just, we'll be back in a thousand years. You just wait right here. Or maybe she well, had to. She had to load herself on the pattern buffer at some point, and she was going to stay there in the pattern buffer to save the ship. And her captain told her to stay there, and that's why she's still there in the okay. pattern buffer. Well, well, see, the as the ship is, again, <laughs> kind of going along with what you're saying, actually, Veronica. Since this is track, there is there is going to have to be a discussion at some point in time about Zora's sentience and her civil liberties. Yeah, mm-hmm. because can Zora get out of that thing? And, and Charles, what you're saying about you're right. They made a point that Zora was not the ship but is in the ship mm-hmm. so is Zora going to demand a synth body one day I don't know. um yeah I'm, there was a there was an episode of enterprise uh, star trek next generation i don't really care for it but you remember the episode where the enterprise developed sentience and then mm-hmm. it created some weird goobity gog thingamajigga that flew off and the, and the sentience went with it mm-hmm. i kind of hated that episode but the ship was sentient and so there's gonna have to discussion about what do you do with zora because what you're saying veronica can you order zora into a battle where zora may die yeah now what yeah. do you do? That, that's a big deal. And she's got the only working sport drive in a known galaxy yeah. right now. I mean, I mean, so far as we know, Zora never chose to join Starfleet like the rest of them did. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> right. she, I mean, Burnham could order any of the crew to their death if there's justified right. reason for it. But Zora didn't choose to be there so far as I know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I would actually love it if they went that route. And it seems what it seems like right now, they're just going to carry on with the sentient computer and have emotional conversations with it. But if they went down the route of like a Star Trek plot, like a measure of the man type storyline, yes. I would yeah. be into that. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I like the episode overall. It was uh, I thought it was I thought it was a good it was a good Star Trek episode. And it was a good discovery episode with the clunk, uh, the, the emotional discussions a little clunkily handled. Yeah. But other than that, I liked it. I liked the science of it. I yeah. liked the whole thing with. They determine, I mean, it's still kind of, you know, it's Star Trek. So some of the techno battle, mm-hmm. I, I hate to say this, I'll rewind the techno battle three times because sometimes I'm like, I didn't make any real sense. But no, it's Star Trek. <laughs> I got to let it go. But I thought it was, you know, like the whole thing with the, when the brother was talking about the sonar, I reran that three times. Like, I'm not, okay, kind of, okay, whatever. But I thought it was cool that they brought in a galactic barrier and stuff like that. So it really did feel like a Star Trek show that I'm used to, but it's Discovery. And I think mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. I agree with that. Speaking of the sonar thing, that was something I thought was actually kind of cool. Not the, the mm-hmm. science of how the sonar works, but just the mm-hmm. fact that Adira, who's from 900 years further in the future than everybody else is, was like, what's sonar? And plus, Adira <laughs> grew up on a, on a generational ship. So oh, what, good would point. They, what would they know about sonar? You know, which yeah. whereas the, 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 the folks from the 23rd century are like, this is what sonar is. We, we still know about that in our century. So, right. uh, they didn't say that, but that was the implication I got was that they're using sort of the old fashioned, old fashioned knowledge, which um, right. if that's what they're going for. Yeah, too. that's true. But yeah. also, if that's what they're going for, though, it makes good use of the fact that they've traveled into the future when they met when they just casually mentioned the galactic barrier and i was like wait that happened a few years after they left <laughs> <laughs> maybe they learned mystery i'm sure they had like a refresher course here's the what we've learned about the because where no man has gone before would have taken place what eight years after discovery disappeared so they shouldn't know about that but they've been in the future for a, over a year or for months or however long it's been they've had time to that's how I justified it was that I didn't even think about that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe, huh? 
maybe the signature of those particles is in the computer database because it seems like the whole gal it seems like that's a known phenomenon yeah so maybe they just did a match i completely didn't think about that i it's mean i would i would expect that now that they're serving in the 32nd century starfleet there'd be some sort of remedial history right. and science catch-up course they'd have to take Right. The only thing I didn't, I wondered about, and again, it's, you know, examining the plot too hard, was in other episodes like um, the immunity syndrome, when we talked about the space amoeba, my first thought was you go into something, it's like in real life, if you get lost and you stop. So couldn't they literally just reverse the engines and just gone backwards? And not even very, you know, if I could, yeah, you just went straight in. Could you go back straight out or? Yeah, it, it did look like they're just flying straight in. But I mean, with, mm. I mean, I guess they're going through some turbulence and stuff. So maybe they don't. Yeah. My thought was if you can't figure out how to go straight out, just you can tell where these things are destroying things in front of you. Just go the opposite way of that. Yeah. But that's a, that's a good point. But yeah. I guess, you know, you're in a, this weird eye anomaly thing. You don't want to uh, have your calculations be a few degrees off, you know? You know? Right. Um, I don't know. I thought it was effective. I thought it was an effective show. And yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it, it overall. Thought they yeah. did a job, everyone. Yeah, me too. How about you, Veronica? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. Well, Keith, where can people find more of you on the internet? On Twitter and on Facebook, primarily the ESO Network Facebook groups. And how about us, Veronica? Oh, nerdy.com. Yep. And do you have a closing for us this week? Ah. If not, I do. Oh, good. <laughs> In the spirit of, the, of one of our holiday episodes. Okay. Two days ago, this station felt like a tomb. I'd never seen so many of my crew depressed at the same time. But for some reason, mm-hmm. it now seems as though a new spirit has swept through the station, as if someone had opened a door and let a gush of fresh air blow through a musty old house. Why this is happening, frankly, is a mystery to me. After all, nothing has really changed. The Dominion is still a threat. The Cardassians are still threatening to take the station. And I can still see the clouds of war gathering on the horizon. So why do I sense a newfound optimism in the air? Maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe the real explanation is is as simple as something my father taught me a long time ago. Even in the darkest moments, you can always find something that'll make you smile. Very well said. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.